Welcome to the Fem Nation Podcast, where we wholeheartedly believe women entrepreneurs can rise together. Success comes in many flavors. There are no secret strategies. Women entrepreneurs are rewriting history by defining success on their own terms. Hi, I'm White of Gannon, the down-to-earth chick with a different name. Entrepreneur and founder of the Female Entrepreneur Movement, our business is dedicated to helping women start and grow their businesses, increasing financial independence. Each week, join me for inspiring stories and powerful interviews of women entrepreneurs sharing their lessons to success to help you take your business to the next level. Now, let's go for it. Welcome back to the Femination Podcast. Today, I have an amazing guest, Laureen, who is a founder of Celebrating Her Right and Feed on the Earth. I look forward to diving into more of what that is and what your passion is around that. So thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me, Wine Dove. I'm really excited to be here and to visit with you. Excellent. So let's start with the main question for the interviews. Where did your entrepreneurial journey begin? I think my entrepreneurial journey began when I was an adolescent. My mom worked full-time waiting tables to raise two kids alone, and I grew up in the 80s. And for me, I just was aware of, of the sexism in our world and the struggles she faced as a single parent with two kids and being a woman. I would say by the time I was 19, I was really clear that my work in the world was going to be about empowering women. I didn't know exactly how I was going to do that yet, but I was determined to figure that out. Excellent. Tell me a little bit more about what journey and what path that set you down first. It set me down first a path of being a social activist when I was in college, really wanting to right the wrongs of the world. I was very involved in the anti-apartheid movement on my campus and also the Central America Solidarity Movement. Mm. I traveled to Central America when I was in my early 20s and visited Nicaragua. And at the time, that was a very charged political situation in the United States because the government there was being opposed to by our government. Right. What I found there was people who had been through the revolution there just wanted a better life. I found that everywhere I went, people were like us. They wanted to live in peace and be able to raise their families. Mm-hmm. I also found that the women were very much like my mom. They embodied feminism in a sense without ever really necessarily having any kind of feminist theory behind them. They just Mm. did what they needed to do for their families. I felt very inspired by those women and came back to the United States thinking, how can I be of service to people? What can I do to benefit other people and empower women? And through a series of events that led me to becoming an herbalist, I studied herbal medicine because I felt that was a very empowering thing to be able to heal ourselves with the plants that we had around us and not have to rely on someone else all the time. Certainly there's a place for Western medicine and what it has to provide, but there's also a long rich history of using herbs and natural remedies that is very much connected to our history as women. Women have Mm -hmm. traditionally been the the healers in many villages. True, very true. Nurturing too and healing. Yeah, and some of that was very much suppressed in the witch hunts in the Middle Ages in Europe. And that's a legacy we all carry as women, trying to overcome that. While I was on my path as an herbalist, I also, I love the outdoors, and I ended up leading wilderness programs for teens. It was an opportunity I stumbled into, and for about 10 years, I did that kind of as a parallel career. I taught at an herbal herbal medicine school, and uh, I ran my own private practice 
And then I started doing wilderness trips for women. And that eventually led me over several series of steps to doing what I do now. Tell me about those wilderness trips for women. What did you see as being kind of that catalyst for empowerment from that? There was a couple of things. One of the main ones is because on the whole, as females, we're socialized to think that we're weaker, to play it safer, to not take risks, for women to get outside, use their body, go through challenging situations, whether that's a long hike with a heavy backpack or a thunderstorm or climbing to the top of a 14,000 foot peak and looking at the amazing view from there. It, it leaves a feeling in the body of, I can do it. Mm-hmm. But what I see over and over again with women and the girls I work with is that feeling of, I can do it. Right? I did this hard physical thing. It creates this internal touch point for anything else we have to do that's hard in our lives. Asking for a raise, speaking up when someone's being disrespectful to us, whatever that hard thing is for us to do, having done something that literally is a physical embodied expression of overcoming challenges really strengthens our internal knowledge that I can do it. If I survived that thunderstorm where it poured all night, we didn't sleep a wink because we were just trying to hope we stayed dry. Or if I hiked to the top of that peak when I thought I'd never make it halfway up, I can do this. I can ask my boss for a raise. I can start my own business, whatever it is we want to do as women. Mm-hmm. What's one of the one of the um, most common hurdles that women overcome in a wilderness program? I think in all of it, all of the you know, in in like a well rounded scope of what you've done and worked with, and how you've worked with women. What is what is the one challenging piece that seems to resonate throughout your work? For me, and and I struggle this with myself is the belief in myself, the belief mm-hmm. in my own worth. And that I have value to give to the world and that there's something, there's something important I'm here to do and to to stand up for that or to take action on it. I think one of the challenges we face as women is not believing in ourselves, not having that self-confidence and being afraid to take the risk to put ourselves out there. Yes. And it's uh, minimized often the value that we do contribute because like you were saying, culturally, we have embraced over you know decades of just being in this space that we take the back seat we are in the shadows we kind of just contribute without any fanfare not that women need fanfare but what it subconsciously did is really create a space that our voice as our voice didn't matter because then someone would just take the idea or the concept and roll with it, even though the contribution had been made. So it's not a dig. I'm not saying that to be a dig, but I completely resonate with what you're saying, you know, like a dig on, on, you know, between the genders, but I resonate with what you're saying because I myself have dealt with that previously where it's like, I don't, maybe I'm not qualified or maybe I'm not good enough or a lot of imposter syndrome comes from that root because we have to learn to put ourselves out there and accept that and stand for that. But the culture has to shift as well. Everything about it has to, awareness is where it starts, but then action has to come after awareness. And then everything has to follow in suit from from those uh, initial pieces. But we have to go out there and say, we, we are enough and we have amazing contributions and we have availability to offer solutions to this world that have yet to be utilized. 
Absolutely. And it's it's things like the statistic that we can point to where a man looks at a job description and if he meets half of the qualifications he applies and a woman won't apply unless she meets 90% of them, right? It's how we're, what we've internalized in ourselves about our own belief. And it, it actually goes back to how we're parented as little children. I read an interesting study when I was in graduate school about how parents uh, address risk-taking in preschoolers. And with a boy, let's say they're, they're scrambling on some little rock, right, a little boulder. And with a boy, they just, you know, they stay close by and they say, okay, well, give it a try and you can do it. And they're there to catch him if he falls. And if he falls, they're like, oh, you fell down and let's brush you off and it's all okay. And then what you'll see with a girl is they're hovering right there. Are you sure it's okay? Okay, just be careful, be careful. And, and then if she falls, they're like, oh, honey, I know you probably shouldn't have gotten up there. And so we get mm-hmm. this internal message as females that says, if we take a risk and we fail, it's our fault because we shouldn't have taken that risk in the first place. Whereas males on the whole get a message that says, take a risk, fall down. Oh, no, no. Oh, well, no big deal. Just keep going. Right. So they believe that there isn't any risk to risk taking. Whereas for us, oh, gosh, it means we're a failure. We did something wrong. Right. And it's mm-hmm. it's so unconscious that we don't even realize we're doing it with our own children. But that's mm-hmm. the kind of subtle messages that we get from an early age as females, which is what makes it harder for us to take risk, which is why mm-hmm. I find taking physical risk, physical challenges, whether it's running a 5K or going on a backpacking trip or trying rock climbing or something like that. Again, it gives us an embodied experience of I can do this mm-hmm. and that that can translate into other environments. There's lots of other things I think people could do that way, women could do that way too. It's just the outdoors is my venue for that. And I've seen it be really mm-hmm. powerful and effective. I think there's a connection there too. Tell me more about what you've created in Celebrating Her Right and Feet on the Earth. Tell me a little bit about how you've empowered women that way. Sure. So Feet on the Earth, I'll start there because that was where I started. Grew out of my work in the field of outdoor education and nature connection mentoring. And one of the things I noticed in both of those fields while we were taking people outside, and I worked both on co-ed programs and and all-female programs. We're taking people outside. We're having great experiences in nature. I kind of got into the nature connection work because I felt like it was doing more to actually connect people's hearts to the natural world rather than just using it as a backdrop for our own experience. Mm -hmm. And even in that work, I saw the same thing, which is it was very male-dominated, like many fields, many what are called non-traditional fields. And Thus, the programming was oriented to the boys. So in the nature connection work, there was a lot of like adventure and pushing your edges and meeting challenges, which is great, but it's really well adapted for 14-year-old boys who just need that kind of thing. Right? Right. They really, they've got all that bravado on the whole, you know, and these are generalizations, right? But I've seen this with kids working with them for the last 25 years is they've got all this energy and they've got this metal and they want to test it. And girls have the same thing, but not in the same way. It mm-hmm. shows up differently. They want to, they actually want to feel like they belong and they feel safe, right? With all the sort of girl fighting, I hate to use the term mean girls, mm-hmm. but that's sort of what people use in the culture, you know, all that kind of girl fighting, the girl on girl aggression. Most girls first want to feel safe, right? Just showing up in a group of other girls and opening your mouth and saying something is a huge risk because there's so much of that aggression that you don't know if someone's going to make fun of you. You don't know if you go to school with those girls next week, they're going to repeat what you said in a way that's 
unflattering mm -hmm. towards you, right? So girls have different needs and they also have different interests. So with the programs being really tailored towards the boys, because that's what the paradigm is based upon, right. all the research and everything is mostly done with the boys and the leaders are mostly male. There's, there's like a crack that girls can fall through. There's already barriers for girls to participate in the outdoors because of our socialization that says being dirty, being sweaty is unfeminine. And then there's this layer of the programs aren't always designed to meet girls' needs and what the, what's really important for them developmentally at those ages. So I started a program called Her Feet on the Earth, which is about connecting girls with nature. And after doing that for about five or six years as a, as a small business that I ran, I, of course, got requests from parents, can you do something for boys? This work is so important. So we started adding co-ed programs and programs for boys. And then it, I transformed it into a nonprofit called Feet on the Earth. Mm. And we do nature connection programs, so summer camps, after school programs, homeschool programs. With, we have all girls programs, boys programs, co-ed programs. And one of my big passions is the rites of passage work. Having worked with kids for a lot of years, Younger kids, kind of elementary age, sort of that seven to about 12, so kind of first through sixth grade, fifth, sixth grade, really is pretty engaged with the natural world just close to their home. The local open spaces, the parks, kind of what's right nearby. But there's this desire for bigger horizons, bigger challenges as young people go into puberty and through adolescence. They want to push themselves and test themselves more and have bigger, newer experiences. And so what I saw was there was a really a need for something that could meet them in that. And rites of passage are an ancient technology that comes from all of our ancestral lineages, because it's something that earth-based people did. And all of us can trace our ancestry back to hunter-gatherer people. Mm -hmm. right? They had some kind of ceremony that marked an important life transition. So the transition from childhood into adulthood. We kind of have an intermediate step nowadays, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, but that transition is really important to mark. And so creating a wilderness experience to mark that, which is often what was done, the young people were taken out of the village into kind of an immersive, secluded experience and put through different kinds of testing, sometimes individually, sometimes in a group. There was often a lot of teachings about the culture and about one's role in society, which was often very determined by one's gender identity. So... Feet on the Earth was a place where I wanted to bring both the work with the younger children and the rites of passage together and layer them, knowing that having that connection with nature was an important foundation that would then support this deep wilderness experience when they're older. Mm. And out of that grew my own, they kind of wove together where Feet on the Earth is this nonprofit and now I'm kind of taking my next step as an entrepreneur and taking what I've been doing all these years and trying, starting to teach other people how to do it. So I've done various teachings over the years with other women about how to create rites of passage programs for girls and was celebrating her right. I'm taking that to the next level from just training practitioners to actually training moms. Why is it important for my daughter to have a coming of age ceremony? How can that benefit her developmentally? How can that help her build confidence and courage and grit? Those things we need to be successful in life as women, especially to overcome the, the challenges that are just inherent in our society. So that's that's kind of the progression of from one to the other and how they relate to each other. I'm still holding both of them at the same time as I'm transitioning the nonprofit into other people's hands and growing, celebrating her right into a full-time business for myself. 
Mm-hmm. And that's almost like having two businesses. I mean, because a nonprofit yes. is not easy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's juggling a lot. It is. How do you do it? Tell me how, what is your, what is your therapy? What is, you know, keeps you moving along? My therapy is going outside. I just take myself out for a walk. I feel really blessed that I live backed up a bike path that's along a creek. So I walk there every day. That's how I start my day. I get up and I go for a walk or run and I look for my owls. I call them my owls as if I own them, but I don't. (laughs) They really own me because they own my heart. There's a pair of great horned owls that nest along the creek. And so I often see them in the morning and I know where they hang out. So that's one of my things is I go look for the owls and I just tune my senses into nature. That's really my place of renewal and regeneration. It's where I went as a kid. It's why I got drawn into herbalism and the nature connection work, because I'd rather be outside than just about anywhere. So that's Mm -hmm. my go-to. And I've often had the experience where out on a long walk, and for me, a walk is not an aerobic thing. It's kind of, I, I love to start out on a trail and just wander off it and meander around in the woods and look at stuff and, oh, there's a cool flower and, oh, what's over around that bend? And, oh, look, there's a little creek over here. Why don't I follow it for a while? And really just wander around. And I find in those moments, it clears my head and the, the inspiration, the, the download comes in. I used mm. to plan my classes that way. I'd go for a walk and all of a sudden, how to run this program or how to do that class would just come through. And I still get a lot of inspiration that way. So that's what keeps me going with it all. In terms of juggling it, that's just time management. And that's always an ongoing journey for me, trying to prioritize what needs to be done next Mm -hmm. in each area and stay on track with it and learning what's the thing that really matters that needs to be done with an an endless to-do list prioritization. And I'm learning to ask the question, which of these things is going to move this project forward, move this business forward? Because sometimes something looks urgent and it might not be, or it might be someone else's idea of urgent, but it's not the thing that's going to move the business or the organization forward. And that takes a lot of discernment and is definitely something I'm still working on. Almost owning your space and time. Yes. You know, learning how to own that. Uh, and I find the funniest thing, and it's the hardest time to do anything about it, but I find I get a lot of download when I'm driving somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, because I am completely disconnected from anything else, but just focusing on, you know, getting to the destination. And I come up with the most amazing, <laughs> most amazing things. I'm just like, oh, and then when I get there, I'm like, what was that again? You know I mean? So <laughs> um, <laughs> stepping out of my comfort zone, stepping out of my zone, my area, my common area is definitely where it opens up that mental clarity for the download for whatever it is that I'm working on or I'm meeting or just need to move past. So moving, I I mean, for the listeners listening, stepping yourself out of, you know, maybe the common or something that's going to give you some fresh air or a different perspective or an opportunity to just like let your thoughts wander. You know, like you were talking about wandering when you go for a walk, you like to wander and follow a creek or follow a path and see what it looks like. It's a that's a lot like um how our minds work. If we start letting them wander a little bit, we start seeing all these, you know, the flowers or that rock outcropping or, you know, and we apply things to our business that way. So both ways, you know, even mentally and physically, it is very important. And it's something that I've had to do many times. Now, when you create for women, when you create these opportunities, 
how do you measure success? In terms of women creating experiences for their girls, their important girls in their lives, their daughter, the girls they work with, their niece, their granddaughter, whatever that is, for me, the success is how much they are able to embody their own learning. One of the challenges in creating a coming-of-age ceremony for your daughter is you probably never had one. Right? So there's mm-hmm. no internal reference point. Right? This is something when we live back in tribal villages that you went through and you watched all your cousins and sisters and brothers go through it before you. And so when it was your turn as an adult to help lead this, well, you knew what happened. Right? Mm-hmm. Now we, we don't have anything. We have very few actual rite of passage experiences. And we go through all kinds of passages in our life, birth from early childhood into middle childhood, childhood into adolescence, adolescence into adulthood, adulthood into more mature adulthood. We're like, oh, wow, I think I kind of know something now, right? <laughs> Usually hits around the 40s, 40s, yes. 50, right? Huh, I think I maybe I have a few things figured out. But of course, by then we know that there's a lot we don't have figured out. And then we go right. into our later life and we become elders and we share our wisdom back with the community. And so there's all these passages, but we live in a society that doesn't mark them. So one Mm. of my measures of success for women is, were they able to find that place inside of themselves and and honor where they are in their life stage? Because that's such an important grounding for then, oh, I can meet my daughter where she's at. Because then I'm an adult dealing with my daughter rather than, oh, my 14-year-old's being activated and I'm dealing with my, you know, and she's dealing with my 14-year-old daughter, all, her and all of her unmet, unmet needs along with my daughter and all of her unmet needs, which right. doesn't always go so well. <laughs> Do you find that the moms that go through those, um, you know, creating a rite of passage that didn't have a reference point, do you find that they end up doing some work on themselves too? It's inevitably a part of it. Right. We in order to really show up for our children, we need to do some work for ourselves because there's obviously something that was missed for us in our childhood, something that was unfulfilled, some wound that's there. And not taking the time to look at those means those are things that are in our blind spots or what people call in the shadow. And they drive our behavior unconsciously. Right. So it's really important to bring those things to light, bring them to consciousness and and go, what is it that I need? It's so often as moms, we sacrifice ourselves for everything and everybody, and then we end up depleted and we can't show up in the best way in the long run. Right. One of the things I see is the two biggest barriers for women in creating experiences for their daughters or what we're talking about, having not had an internal experience of it themselves or an embodied experience. So a lot of what I try and do is create that for women. And then the other piece is they just don't have any information. They don't know what to do. They don't really understand, well, they haven't maybe never even heard of a rite of passage or it's kind of a buzzword that gets thrown around nowadays. So it's a little (laughs) devoid of meaning. People call any kind of new experience someone has a rite of passage. Oh, they got lost going through a new city and they had to figure out how to take the subway by themselves. Oh, that's a rite of passage. Well, it's a great initiatory experience, right? It's great character building. The rite of passage is actually the ceremony that your community holds for you so that you can be witnessed in this experience and help form a new identity around that. Right? Every time mm-hmm. we step into a new phase of life, we are initiated into a new aspect of our being. The witnessing and the reflection is incredibly important. And a lot of what many of us are lacking is having been witnessed on our journey. 
And that's one of the places where the emptiness and the wounding comes from because we feel like nobody sees us. Right. And it's hard for us to see ourselves without that external reflection as well. When other people say, oh, right, I see that you've changed and and things are different for you in your life now and I'm going to treat you in a different way. People often Mm -hmm. just keep treating us like we're the same person, even as we grow and adapt. And that, that limits us. It holds us back. And that's the same trap we can get into with our children, right? Seeing them the same way, even though they're growing and changing, maybe not as much physically during adolescence, right? They did a lot of that up until this point, but incredible changes in their emotional and social social and brain development. But it's Mm. harder to recognize that when what we see on the outside is a lot of what seems like chaos and and strong emotions. I read something uh, years ago, actually, gosh. Uh, I'd say it was probably in 2007 or 2008 and it was, and I don't even know where it was. I can't reference it. I have no idea, but it was a document or a paper written about teenagers, teens, and we have five kids. And so it was something that was going to be coming up soon for us because our oldest at the time, I think was 10 or 10 or 11. And so I had grown up that anything that was um, objective uh, to my parents meant I was rebellious, which was not the case in my mind. I knew it wasn't the case, but I just, I was like, okay, but that's parents being parents. And, you know, I guess I'm just a kid and I'm really not, I'm not a rebellious person, but I read this document that said that teens actually aren't rebellious. They are just separating their identity from being the shadow identity of their parents and trying to figure out what that looks like for themselves. Now that's a broad general, you know, there are many different scenarios inside of that that we even that that are human and weave inside of you know what causes specific reactions or actions from from teens but it was fascinating to me to read that because I was like he's right it was written by a man um he's right because I wasn't I wasn't rebellious I know I wasn't rebellious I was just trying to figure out who the heck I was and so that was very interesting that I came across that when I did and it shifted, I look back now, it shifted how I actually parent my own kids because it's not rebellion and I want them to make decisions, you know, to learn how to make decisions while they're still under my care in my household. And they're not always going to make the right decisions. They're going to mess up, but let's at least be open enough to converse about it. Let's talk about, hey, if it's detrimental, I'll say, hey, ho, ho, hold on, hold on a second, you know, but for the most part, creating an environment where the conversation is not a dominating me saying no, because one, maybe I do know better, but is it, would it be better for them to experience making that decision, knowing that it's not detrimental, knowing that it's not the, you know, maybe not the most efficient choice, but let them experience it themselves. so They can make form their identity and form their decisions and stuff. It was an amazing article that I wrote. I have no idea where to even find it again, but it was right. It's not that there's a rebellion. It's a, a lack of identity now separating into an own, their own thought process and then trying to navigate what the heck that is with the hormones going, with the change and, you know, all the things that into that adolescent time frame, and then the whole world on top of it. You know, I mean, now all of a sudden there's a bigger world out there and they realize it. But how do we come back to understanding that nature plays such an, an amazing pivotal part in this, because I believe it does. And I believe that strongly that the work that you do is able to bring focus back to that. How does a mom that doesn't have a reference point, 
that doesn't know anything about this trigger the thinking that this is something that is necessary for her and her daughter or her son or her children? Absolutely. What you talked about is so important because it describes really well what's going on. Mm -hmm. In terms of how the brain functions, when children are basically until they're about 11 or 12, the, the age seems to be creeping lower. And I think that's because of the influx of technology in our world. It used mm-hmm. to be more around 12. But what happens is there's a shift that starts in the brain around eight years old. And it's actually driven by the hormones, the body starting to prepare for puberty. So for example, in girls, and the same is true in boys, it happens a little bit later in boys. When girls are about eight years old, the pituitary gland starts sending out a hormone called FSH, stands for follicle stimulating hormone. And it stimulates the ovaries to start producing estrogen, little small bursts of it, right? So we're not having a period yet, we're starting to get the body ready to have periods, right? And it's a process that unfolds over the next three, four, five years where the pituitary is getting the body ready. With that increase of estrogen or in boys testosterone, it actually creates changes in the brain. It activates different areas in the brain. And children go from kind of being like fish in the ocean where they don't differentiate the fish themselves from the ocean. They're kind of all one. And that's what you're describing about like, oh, they live in their parents' world and they live in this world. And somewhere around eight, nine years old, they start to wake up out of what I call the dream time. The dream time Mm -hmm. is that place of imagination and play that children live in and fairies are real, which they are. Um, (laughs) They don't stop being real. Our just brain starts perceiving them differently. And that's an important thing to support, right? And it doesn't happen overnight. You'll see children go in and out of that state as they as they move out of this place of the dream time more and more into what we think of as like adult rational thinking. And that adult rational thinking actually allows them to be aware that they're thinking. And so they actually can have perspective. They start to realize that they're thinking thoughts and that they're separate from the things in their environment, the other people, Mm -hmm. the events, right? When kids are like six years old, they think they're they think they're omnipotent. Everything that happens has is their the term is they're egocentric because everything revolves around them. And right. Change where they're like, oh, there's me and there's other things, and we're interacting with each other. And that's where that need to now form an identity of who am I is there. And they are trying to separate their identity from who their parents are. And one of the mistakes we make is thinking that that means they need to not have emotional support from us. Right? Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest myths that women are told about their daughters is you need to separate from her. Well, actually, what she needs is what you described so well and what you did with your children is, yes, yeah, she needs to figure out who she is and she needs to have experiences and she needs to make her own decisions. And the same is true for boys. And she needs you to be there as a guide and a support for her. Right? To, it's, we're still adults. We're still there. We're adults and we're still their parents is what I meant to say, right? And we know right. they need to eat their vegetables. They need to get enough sleep, right? We know all those basic things to keep them healthy. We, we know which things are a little too edgy and dangerous and which things are good ways to develop yourself and safe places to take risk and try those out. And we do our best to give that guidance and give them space to have their own experiences. And how mm-hmm. this ties back into nature for me is... In the natural world, we already know who we are. And when we are 
Spending time in nature regularly, we have a sense of belonging. One of the most fundamental things young people are looking for as they go through this identity shift during adolescence is that sense of belonging, right? Mm -hmm. It's why I tried to figure out what were the right clothes to wear when I was in middle school, because I thought that would help me fit in, and why girls would turn themselves inside out and boys too to try and fit in, whatever that is, uh, not like somebody or like somebody or do some behavior or join some club, some club they don't even care about, or all those things that I know I tried some of those when I was that age. Like, how can I make myself fit in? What do I have to do to myself to fit in and be liked, right? That's such a high priority, particularly for girls, because females form their identity in relationship to other people. And this is, in our society, the way we're socialized, a fundamental difference between males and females. Males are socialized more to form their identity through external accomplishments and achievements. Mm -hmm. Did I make the football team? Uh, How did I do in track? Am I great in science? Do I play an an instrument? And and girls have that too, but girls are really like, a lot of their identity comes from a sense of belonging and their relationship to other people. Do other people like me? Do I matter to them? Right. And of course, at that age, that all feels so tenuous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the other thing going on in the brain is all the, the amygdala is overactivated. And that's the part of our brain that processes emotions like fear and anger and sadness. And should I run away from this perceived threat? So our perception of threat is much higher during adolescence than it is later in adulthood when the amygdala is not so activated. Mm-hmm. And so everything looks terrifying at that age. Everything feels like life or death. Oh my God, if I give the wrong answer in science class, I'm going to be so embarrassed, I'm going to die. And that's literally what they say. And and it kind of feels that way in the physiology of their body. They don't really cognitively believe they're going to die, but their body feels like, oh my God, this is like life or death because they get activated into that fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. The beauty of nature is nature is the number one calming, grounding influence in our lives. And I know that may sound weird to people who don't feel comfortable in nature, which is you know, one of the tragedies of our society is that we've become so removed from the natural world, people actually feel afraid there. They feel afraid of all the big scary things that might hurt them, which generally don't want to hurt them, right? Right. Mountain lions don't want to eat you, they'd rather eat a deer. But if you happen (laughs) to keep jogging at dusk and they're hungry, they might come get you, but the incidence of that is even very low, Right. right? So it's, but when we go into the natural world, one of the interesting things that happens is everything on earth has a, including us, has a basic energetic vibration it puts out. And I'm not talking about in the woo-woo way. I'm literally talking about you can put electrodes on your skull and yes. on an electroencephalograph measure your brain activity. And yes. you can measure the amplitude of the waves that are happening. And they're measured in megahertz and they fall into these different categories, beta, alpha, theta, delta, and gamma waves. And they have a correlation with different states in our body and in our mind. And the alpha wave is that one that people get into through meditating or going for a jog or doing something they love where they get into what athletes call the zone, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know how I got that basking in the hoop. I just was in the zone and tossed it and in it went. Or I just went for that run and I just got runner's high or gosh, when I dance, I just feel like alive and peaceful in a way that I don't anywhere else, right? Those are all expressions of the alpha state and the actual, and I'm not going to remember the numbers right now off the top of my head, 
but the actual measurement of the brain waves in Hertz in an alpha wave is parallel to the electromagnetic field of the earth. The earth has, and also has, puts out like these electronical waves is called the, Sh the Schumann resonance. And the Schumann re resonance is like seven point, oh gosh, I'm not gonna remember the numbers, so I don't wanna say them wrong. Yeah. Basically, there's this principle in physics called entrainment, where we will naturally start to energetically vibrate or energetically mesh with the strongest influence around us. So when we're outside in nature, away from our phones and away from the electricity in our homes and away from our computers, all of a sudden our body starts to align with that electromagnetic frequency of the earth, which pulls us into an alpha state. So our body is literally being pulled there. Plus, if we tune into our senses, we pay attention to what the sunlight feels on our skin or the beauty of the flower that our eyes are taking in or the shimmering of the leaves and the sunlight or the sounds of the birds. We just start tuning into our five physical senses. You can even take deep inhalations like a dog does, sort of like sniffing and, and pull in the scents, right? I'm always amazed at right. what stuff smells outside. Like there's this kind of interesting snow melting smell and oh, the warm yes. sun and leaves smell and things like the that. rain smell, the rain, the rain smell that people, that people know that one. Yeah. Yes. And again, that starts to take us out of our busy thinking mind, right? Which is where we are most of the time trying to problem solve, trying to figure it out, trying, 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 you know, that's that, that little monkey on the wheel, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> a little churning, churning, churning. If I could just think hard enough, I could figure it out. And then like you described and we were talking about earlier, if I can get out of that state, then all yes. of a sudden I feel more peaceful and the ideas and the inspiration start to drop in. And nature moves us naturally into that state. If you just go for a walk in nature and you let your thoughts go, and this could be around a city park. This doesn't have to be big wilderness. Right? That's what I love about right. the natural world is it's right outside our door. Even in an urban area, you might have to go further to find a park or something like that where you can walk, feel the sun, listen to the birds, lie down on the earth if you're comfortable doing that whatever that is, and your body will start to come into resonance with that. And it brings that peacefulness. So now we go back to adolescence, where everything feels crazy, because mm -hmm. your brain's in this heightened state of fear-based response, your prefrontal cortex, that's all about planning and decision making and evaluating consequences of actions isn't fully developed. <laughs> so you're right. you know, freaked out and you're making choices that aren't well considered. Uh, you got hormones raging through your body, and then someone wants you to sit still in a building for seven hours of your day. Oh, right? Which I know. To me is just crazy, <laughs> right? I to know. ask young people to sit still when there's all this going on in their body, right? So take that person outside, and everything changes. There's mm -hmm. thousands of studies now that show just even looking out a window at a green space will help kids pay attention better, will help with self regulation, will lessen anxiety and depression. It's incredible to me how just looking at nature can make us feel better. Having a room full of plants as opposed to bare walls. And then certainly being in nature where we get the influence of our five senses and that electromagnetic field of the earth, all of a sudden we start to calm down, our mind relaxes, and we feel like we belong, right? Everybody mm -hmm. belongs to the earth. Even if you mm -hmm. think no one else loves you and you're just the scum of the earth, you can go outside and put your hand on the earth and she's not going to reject you, right? Right. 
earth right. is right there for you all the time. We all belong on this planet. This is our home. This is where we live. And I find for me, that is a really great place of anchoring. Oh, I belong on this earth. I live here. This is my planet. Even if right. I don't feel like I fit in anywhere else, there's one place I belong because I'm a human being living on the earth and I'm here along with the trees and the birds and the grass. And this right. is my home along with all of them. And that can be challenging for young people nowadays because there's such a perception of, oh, we humans, we're the bad people destroying the earth. Right. And so it just creates further separation. It's like, well, yeah, we make some choices that have an impact and we need to be aware of what our impact is and let's make different choices. But we can't make different choices until we have awareness, like you said, but also until we actually care about the earth. This is why connecting with nature is so important, particularly for children, because the basic way we're wired as human beings is we protect what we love and we love what we know. Mm -hmm. We're not going to protect the earth if we don't know it, because if we don't know it, we don't love it. And so to have young people outside connecting with the earth starts to develop that relationship that sense of, oh, I don't need to know the name of that tree. I can just love that tree that's in the park that I go and visit every day because, gosh, that tree's here for me on all my hardest moments. I can go talk to that tree, maybe out loud or inside my own head, depending on who's around and my comfort with that, right? And and feel like a sense of companionship and belonging. And then it's like, oh, well, if someone went to cut that tree down, I would be really upset and I might actually even take action to stop that. I don't need to cut down that tree in the park. Why not leave it, right? So that it creates this whole sense of relationship, this whole sense of being part of that is really important for our sense of well-being, but then it also motivates behaviors that take care of the earth. There's also a whole slew of studies that have looked at childhood experiences in nature and basically free play in nature and things like fishing and going camping and stuff like that grow when children do that a lot when they're young they grow into adults who take what are called you know environmentally positive actions they're more likely to recycle and do things that care for the earth because they had an experience when they were young of going this is an important part of my life and i love it and it matters so it's a very long-winded answer to your question no no no. it's a it's amazing and it absolutely fascinates me because i've had so many i've had encounters where people are just like I wouldn't have expected you to be super analytical because you have a very, you know, spiritually based side. And I was just like, yeah, but I had to tap into that myself. And, and it makes sense what you're saying, because yes, there's a lot of woo to it. And I think that's a broad spectrum term that's being loosely used. um, Mm -hmm. That means that we have a desire to, you know, kind of search within and kind of, you know, kind of a spiritual approach, whatever that is for us. But the fascinating thing is that it is a circle because it is also scientific, yes. you know, so it's not that it's just someone's perception. It can be founded with science as you know, it can be, it can be based with science. I mean, it just, it fascinates me to listen to you talk about that because I'm like, that makes so much sense to both sides of my brain, <laughs> you know, the yeah. analytical and the very creative side of it, because those two fight on me because then, you know, that's been my biggest struggle as an adult, as um, more in my late thirties to early forties to where I was just like, what, what, you know, I mean, what is this big world? I've gone through all these trials and challenges and raising daughters and, you know, all of these things to be like, okay. But yet I believe that even though this is analytically saying something, I believe that 
I have to look at it this, you know, a spiritual way or a creative way or a different way as well, because that needs to make sense for me too. So for the listeners listening, it, it, that's a the very, very big world out there and a lot that is so overwhelming. I'd say we live in a ma- an amazingly overwhelming time that there is not free time anymore. It just, it, it everything's scheduled time. And even with our children, it's scheduled time. How many moms are out there with adolescents that are, you know, I'll use the term soccer moms, because that is understood that you are chasing the sport, you're chasing getting them some, somewhere, you're, you know, throwing dinner together, you're just just at the end of the day, burnt because of all of the moving parts that you did. And, you know, to create a better environment for your kids, absolutely, it's with the best of intentions. But in doing that, we've disconnected from the very source that it could actually heal that stuff and fix that for us and be a part of that growing opportunity and learning opportunity for the kids that we're raising and, you know, how we're showing them that we're showing up because even being a parent is a full-time job. You know I mean? So as an entrepreneur, as a parent, as, you know, a business owner, as all of those different things, it still comes down to the very fundamental fact that we have to be aware and conscious and present to the decisions that we make in order to be better in our lives and also give the opportunities that allow for that next generation that maybe is a little more disconnected from that outdoor experience and disc and much more, you know, because we live a very technology based era. Now there's no science back in that we've got <laughs> centuries of the other. We don't have any science backing what are, what the next generations are dealing with and how they're dealing with it. So it's our responsibility to take someone like you, your advice and your knowledge and, you know, what you're bringing to the world to be able to say, this is an opportunity for you to slow down and find the solution, find the answer to whatever it is out there. But then also for the parents that are now aware or the moms that are now aware of celebrating those rites of passage for their daughters, celebrating those moments of, you know, growth and transition for them to be able to have opportunities of what something different looks like. And it can be different. So I'm fascinated, fascinated by your work. <laughs> yeah, I'm very much like you. Like I very much have a, I would call the spiritual orientation towards life where at a very young age, I just, I made this decision. I thought, okay, there has to be a greater meaning to everything going on, even if I don't understand it, because it was the only way I could make sense of the chaos of my childhood, all the things that were happening that didn't make sense to me. And I think I was somewhat influenced by the book, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, which was written at the time I was a kid and was made into a movie. And it was this whole idea of that there's there's something bigger to this than this day to day life we live and there's a greater meaning and it was I somehow internalized that message and took that with me so I I look at everything through that lens and mm-hmm. I'm I'm a big intellectual I'm I'm a total nerdy geek I used to teach anatomy <laughs> and physiology at an herb school and I loved it I love getting into that and I love getting into yeah. the, like the science of the electromagnetic field of the earth and how it interacts with our brain waves and and. And it's fascinating to me because having worked in the outdoors for so many years, I see the benefit. It's obvious. It's so clear. Mm -hmm. I watched the transformation happen in the kids and the adults I work with. And then to see now that people are doing this research where they do all these studies and, oh, look, it makes you feel better. And for me, it's a little bit like, yeah, duh. (laughs) 
the one hand, because we're biologically designed to interact yes. with the natural world. That's what we've done for the last 100,000 million years, however long humans have been on this planet, right? It's only been mm -hmm. in the last couple hundred that we've lived in these cities. And it's only been in the last, what, 50 that we've had the kind of technology we have yes. now. I, computers were just coming out when I was a kid. Nobody had a cell phone. You just made plans and hoped the other person showed up. And sooner or later they did. And you found each other in the airport and you know, it all worked out. Exactly. Um, exactly. And, but our body is literally designed. We have eyes and ears and all these kind of sensory receptors in our skin. Our body is literally designed to have this sensory, this sensual relationship with the natural world. That's what we were programmed for, right? We mm -hmm. were programmed to thrive in that environment. And that's what we're biologically wired for because our biology doesn't change as quickly as our world and our technology is changing. Right. This is why that technology is stressful to us. And we need to find ways to come back to that state of, of rest and regeneration because the technology is so stimulating. It's beautiful and wonderful and allows us to do things like you and I Absolutely. to have this conversation sitting in our, in our home office spaces. That's right. And travel across the world and amazing things. And it takes a toll on our physical being and our psyche. And so what right. can we do to regenerate that so that we don't get depleted? And the yeah. other thing we're wired for is connection. And this is what you were talking about, although you didn't say the word. We need connection, not just with the natural world, but with other people and ourselves. Right? When our lives are so scheduled and busy, there isn't even time to slow down and go, what do I need right now? Right. Or to have that meaningful conversation with another person in our life, right? It's running off to the next thing and, oh, oh I got to get this done. And so we lose touch with who we are. We lose touch with the important people in our lives. And certainly we lose touch with the earth. And tapping back into any one of those can help us with the other two. Right? Right. And tapping back into the earth helps us get in touch with ourselves. Who am I? What's happening inside of me? That's slowing down enough to go, how does my body actually feel? I'm amazed mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I can get up and go, gosh, did I notice how my body felt all day? I'm kind of stiff right. from sitting in my chair at my computer. And then exactly. also just being in that receptive state of like, oh, now I'm connected with who I am. What's happening for me? how I feel, what's happening in my body and my mind, oh, I can show up and actually connect with you in a meaningful way, right? And that's right. one of the things that we're looking for is and connection. Yeah, and it's it's decreasing in our world. There's so much yes. between us and other people with the phones and the technology. And along with that, rates of depression and anxiety and suicide are skyrocketing. And mm. all the things, I just recently read a study and it that she was talking about the things that bring happiness in teenagers. And they were all things related to connecting and accomplishment, even doing mm -hmm. homework. It was the lowest thing on the list, but just that sense of like completing something. And then basically everything that was below the line, everything that like took away our happiness was related to technology in some way. Right. And right. we're not going to just throw our technology out the window and get rid of it. I'm not advocating that, but I'm advocating that we have an awareness of how these things are affecting us and take remedial action so that they don't run our lives and cause us to become these depleted, stressed out, anxious people that mm. then can't function as well. There's mm. an incredible loss of human potential when we're stressed and we're anxious and we're afraid and we, we don't know what to do and we think we're not good enough, right? All of those things that go in, on inside of ourselves that keep us from achieving our biggest goals, our, our greatest dreams. 
Every mm-hmm. single one of us is here for a purpose. We all have some Absolutely. reason we came to this earth and something important to give to this world. And I think a lot of people go through their whole life and don't ever find it. And to me, that is a huge and tragic loss. It's a huge Absolutely. loss in human potential. And one of the things I love about rites of passage is it starts to open that doorway for people because part of that experience of forming that new identity around this change I'm having is who am I, right? Answering that question, what am I here to do? What do I love? What am I passionate about? How do I want to be of service in this world? If we were asking those questions of ourselves when we were 13, 14, 15, 16, it would set us on a course in our lives where we could have such powerful impact on those around us and the planet and be doing something we love and that matters. And that's my hope for every person on the planet. Uh, It's huge. And awareness, awareness is so critical. I I was talking briefly um, today about um, a thousand intentional conversations Mm. because, and it's not, it, that number will shift. I mean, that is like turning the cruise ship. It's not immediate, but the the purpose of that is that in in thinking a thousand intentional conversations for whatever it is that you're working on, growing your business, you know, improving yourself, whatever, the the whole point of that is awareness because now all of a sudden your conversations, you're aware of them in a different manner. They're not just conversations. You're not just showing up for that coffee time, not aware of what you're bringing to the table, and then also looking at yourself and saying, you know what? How can I do better? How can I give? How can I be a part of the change? How you know? I mean, there's so many different things that just simple awareness brings to the table. That if we can choose, even as a society individually, but then it'll affect the society at large. If we can choose to be aware, then we can change the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it starts with ourselves. I mean, so often we think we think of nature as something outside of ourselves. Right. I love being in a circle with people and someone says, okay, put your hands on the earth. And everybody we're sitting outside and they reach down and they put their hands on the ground next to them. But how often do we put our hands on our own body? Right. Just mm. putting your hands over your heart right now. You're like, I'm, I am the earth. I am part of nature, this whole physical thing that I live in. And to take that moment and put our hands on our heart and close our eyes and take a deep breath and tune in with ourselves is tuning in with nature and bringing that awareness of right. how do I show up in this present moment in the best way I can and intentionally, like you're talking about. And that's such a beautiful mm-hmm. idea. How do we do whatever we're doing with intention and presence? Because there's so much, and I know I suffer from this too, of thinking about something else while I'm doing whatever it is I'm doing right now. Right. The, the endless to-do list, whatever that is. It will always exist. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> yes. So now as entrepreneurs, we have the freedom to be able to choose what that looks like. Then we have the freedom to be able to build with, with the change that we want to see and be a part of moving, you know, society in a better direction. So Lorraine, I want you to tell the audience how they can connect with you. Yeah, you can find me at Celebrating Her Right, which is spelled R-I-T-E, as in rites of passage, although I'm realizing, oh, .com, and I'm realizing I need to just get the domain that's, you know, Celebrating Her Right, R-I-G-H-T also, because yeah. we'll naturally type that in. You could find yes. it there, celebratingherright.com. Right now, if you go there, I have a page up, and you sign up for my e-newsletter, I will send you my seven secrets to successful conversations with teen and tween girls. 
And it's a mm. two-page handout I worked up that just talks about how to have a meaningful conversation with the girl in your life, your daughter. And really, it can work for anybody you want to have a meaningful conversation with because a lot of it's about being present and empathy and, and listening and reflecting and those kinds of things. And, but particularly with young people, giving them the space to not fix things for them, but to allow them to find their own solutions like we were talking mm. about earlier. I'm also on Facebook celebrating her right, Lorene Wapatich, which is a little hard to spell. <laughs> and you can also find me through feedontheearth.org. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on today. It's been a it's been my pleasure to be connected to you and to, you know, hear your wisdom and everything that you're bringing to women and girls, tweens, teens, and society at large because even boys and men we all benefit from this. So thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for coming on today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure talking with you. It's been so fun to just dialogue with you and allow all of this to come out and all of these different things that weave together in my mind and my being all the time and to have the chance to share them and with someone who's such a great listener. So thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. Thank you so much, guys. Please do link up with Lorraine. She is just an amazing person changing the world, but it's one woman at a time. So as always, keep moving forward. Thanks for listening to the Fem Nation podcast. Be sure to check out our show notes for more details from the episode. If you love the show, share it with a friend or drop me a note. I'd love to hear from you over at whitedovegannon.com or find me on social media. Until next time, keep moving forward.